good to be here. Good to see you guys this morning. Um, yeah, so today uh, we, we want to share something with you. Um, and I don't know how many of you know, but James was at Andrews University finishing his studies right about the time that our family moved there. So it was awesome to reconnect uh, of all places in Michigan uh, with, um, with Pastor James. And uh, there's something that I've really been, um, last couple of years, something that I've really been thinking about, and God has really been speaking to me about something. And so I just have a burden to share it uh, for wherever God calls me to share it, and I believe that he called me to share it with you today. Um, and it's something that when, I, when God first revealed it to me, I was just like, I can't believe I, I grew up in, how many of you guys were born as a Seventh-day Adventist? Like, almost everybody here probably, right? Yeah, some of you are younger, but I won't say how old I am, but I'm really old, right? So all these years, I grew up in the church. I went to church every Sabbath, attended worship every single Sabbath. And it was only until like two, no, maybe about three years ago that I learned this thing. And I'm like, how is it that I grew up in the church I served as an elder. I was, and now I'm a pastor, I think you know. How is it that after all that time of being in the church and being a pastor, that I didn't know this very simple, simple thing that we spend every single week coming to worship? And how is it that I didn't know this thing? And it just really, really like surprised me. And so when God started to uh, talk to me about this. I just felt like, wow, I need to share this because it has just made the biggest difference for me in my life when it comes to worship, not just when we worship together, but even in my own personal worship as I'm worshiping God. Um, so let me first start off by saying that I am not an expert in this, okay? But God is teaching me, and um, he's continuing to teach me. And I just want to share it with you. And, um, you know, ultimately... What we're going to show you might be a little bit academic. Um, that means, <laughs> like, oh, we are going to separate soon? Oh, the little ones. OK. So I can, it's going to see, feel a little bit like you're in school. Sorry about that. But what's truly important is that as you learn this, that you pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you in your heart so that you can apply this to your life. Um, and, and a lot of times we depend on the Holy Spirit for conviction, right? But sometimes the Holy Spirit requires us to know a little bit first, right? In order for us to convict us with the knowledge that we have, right? If we just keep it in our head as knowledge, then there's nothing. If we only rely on just the conviction, we might be missing out on it. But if you can combine the two, it can be very powerful. So with that in mind... Um, I know we already prayed, but let's just pray one more time because we, we can't pray uh, is not enough. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much. Uh, I want to thank you for this time that you have given us. And we, um, what we are going to be talking about this morning and sharing and what you are going to show us today through your word um, is, is something that um, you have convicted me to believe that is so important in our walk with you. Um, so I pray, Father, that, um, that uh, this time would be a time where truly you are the one speaking to us. Amen. Father, I pray that every eye here would, would take their eyes off of me and, 
and, and really seek to see you um, and that our ears would be open to your voice as we go through this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let me start by asking you guys a few questions. How many of you have let out in praise like you guys did this morning? A few of you? That's it? A few others? Okay, good. So for those of you who have let out in praise, how do you go through selecting the songs that you're going to sing? Well, you don't have, if you want to answer out loud, you're welcome to, but you don't necessarily have to. But just think about that. Like, how do you choose which songs? Songs that we know. Songs that you know, that's how you do it, right? Or the songs that we like, uh-huh. right? You hear something, like, oh, man, I really like that song, right? Let's use that one today, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but just keep that in mind. All right. How about, um, has anyone here been asked to come up during worship to give, like, opening prayer or intercessory prayer, right? A few of us. So when you're coming up for prayer, how do you decide what you're going to pray about? Do you rehearse it before? Maybe. Maybe not. Do you just come up and wing it? Sometimes. Sometimes. Do you know, are there things... um, how do you decide what types of things to pray for when you're up here? Think about those questions. All right, so m- many of you probably are never up front. You're usually sitting in the pews, right? You never come up front. This is just as important for you guys, too. If you never go up front, but you're just sitting in the pews, how do you view worship? Do you actually see yourself participating in worship? Or do you see yourself as just listening and watching? And if you want to participate in worship just sitting in the pews, how do you know how to participate? Okay, keep these questions in mind as we go through this, because I'm going to turn it over to Pastor James now. I got to get used to calling him Pastor James now. My call, he's no longer my like mentee, but he's my colleague now. That's so exciting. So when James was at Living Springs Fellowship, he was part of the teaching team there. And we went over this with the teaching team, and then the teaching team then took it and shared it with the rest of the church. So uh, he's had a chance to really, really uh, learn this with me, and I'm excited that he's, uh, I caught him just before he goes up to Seattle so that we can do this together because it's a lot more fun this way. And so James is now going to, uh, as you keep those questions in mind, James is now going to take us through the biblical, what does the Bible say about worship, and then keep those questions that I asked you in mind as we go through this, okay? All right, James, go for it. All right, hi everyone. So, um, yeah, so we're gonna be talking about like the topic of worship and like why we do the why we do worship the way we do here at this church and a lot of other churches. And yeah, Pastor Tony um, really knows a lot about this topic and like he even wrote a book on it. But then um, he's giving me me the opportunity to teach it because you know he's always looking out for me and he wants me to you know have this opportunity. So I just feel like. That's so selfless of him. So thank you, Pastor Tony. Um, and uh, so let's, if you look at like churches and see how we worship, like you'll see that a lot of us, like we worship um, in like a similar pattern. It's like, you know, in the beginning we have welcome and announcements and then we have, 
you know, three songs, a sermon, uh, offering, closing praise, and then like benediction or something like that, right? So let's just quickly go over like what we do here at Glendale and how we do it. So, you know, when we worship, what is the first thing that we do? We start off with welcome and announcements, right? So. And then what is the next thing that we do? Praise, right? So opening song. Okay, and then? Uh, Bible verses. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And then, the person who reads the scripture, what do they do after? They pray. And then, what's, what comes after um, prayer? Children's story. Wow, good job. And then, what's after that? Bible, okay, yeah. Well, that's not on the bulletin, but yeah. <laughs> I'll write it down. Is that the one where, um, like, the people come up and then they recite what they memorize? And then um, it's a sermon, right? Sermon. And then we have offering. And then uh, closing praise. And the last thing is benediction. So, um, did we miss anything? So, where do where do you know the other songs? Like after the opening song, like the other songs, where do they go? Uh huh. Two songs. Right song. And then how about the third song? Where does it go? Uh huh. What's invocation? Uh huh. Okay. And then here, right? Oh, shoot. Okay. And then, how about song number three? Right after, right after, before scripture reading, yeah. right? Okay. Yep. So next, under invocation, you yeah. write song number three. Okay. So, so like a lot of different churches, they have like variations of this, right? Sometimes they'll put announcements at the end, or you know they'll skip something like invocation or something like that. But um, you'll notice that we all have very similar patterns. So my question for you today is, you know, why do we do it like this? You know, is it just like, just random? Is it just like tradition? 
or is there actually a meaning and like a purpose to why we worship like this? So when we look in the Bible, there's many different contexts where worship takes place, but in each story, there's a, we see a specific pattern. And what we're gonna read today is, um, we're gonna look at how Moses worshiped God when he encountered a burning bush. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Exodus chapter three. Right, so um, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. So can you four each read three verses each? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to res rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of, the, out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. All right, so uh, in this story, we're going to see um, the five patterns, five steps of worship. And the first step is that God, God is the one who gathers us. That's the first part, and it's really important. Because if we don't get this part right, it's going to affect the rest of the steps. Like if we don't recognize that God is the one that has called us to worship, uh, we'll actually miss out on you know, our worship experience. And this is really important because when we look at the story of Moses, you know, how did God communicate to Moses? What did he do? Through the burning bush, right? 
yeah, so, you know, did Moses do anything to put the burning bush there? No, right? It was all God. God is the one who initiates the contact. So we don't worship as a way to get God to come to us, but we, God is the one calling us to him. And, you know, a lot of the times uh, you'll hear people um, pray like, oh, you know, God, everything's set up for you. We're ready. Please be in our presence. But, you know, if you think about it, that prayer doesn't actually make sense because, you know, it's God's the one that's calling us to him, not the other way around. And so if, if we come to this realization that when we worship, that God is the one that is gathering us, something that should naturally result as a result of that is step number two, is that we surrender. And because when we realize that God, like the God, our creator, like the greatest, highest being in the entire world, has called us, fallen, sinful human beings, to worship him. That realization is something that should just make us surrender anything that we're holding on to and to really fear God. And when the Bible says um, fear God, it says fear God, right? Fear God and worship him only. And it's not talking about like fear as in like being scared, but it's talking about like a God. Biblical type of fear is like a godly fear where um, we, we really see God and recognize that he's a lot bigger than what we make him out to be. You know, it's kind of a, like a reverent, um, reverent, respectful, and like to be in awe of God. That's what the biblical fear is. And I know in the Bible verses, it says that Moses was afraid. But, you know, the Hebrew word for that is, um, I think it's yare, and that could mean um, to be scared, but, it, but in this specific context, it could also mean to be reverent or to be in awe of. And with the context that the story takes place, I think it makes sense to think that Moses wasn't just scared of God, but he was in reverent, reverence and in awe that God has called him to him. And, you know, in church, like, we ask people, you know, please be reverent in the sanctuary, you know, please be respectful. And, you know, we tell them, right, when we worship, you know, please don't be on your phone or playing games or talking with your buddy. And that's because if we don't fear God and if we don't surrender any distractions or anything that we have, we miss out on the worship experience that God has for us. And even if God speaks, we might not really be able to listen because we're so distracted so I think, like, to be reverent, it also means to be, um, to give our full attention to God uh, because he deserves it. And, right, so let's look in the story. Do you see any examples of Moses surrendering to God? What's that? All right, he took his shoes off. Mm-hmm. What else did he do? Um, another thing that he did was that um, he hid his face, right? He was afraid to look at God. So um, Moses, he, he hid his face because when he realized that, you know, God, the person he was talking to was God, um, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, he was so humbled by the fact that, you know, God, who's the God of his ancestors, would call, call him to... Um, himself, I call him to God, 
And that realization like inspired this godly fear in his heart. And that's what us surrendering looks like. And the next part is that once we're surrendered and once our heart is ready, uh, God speaks to us. And there'll be times when God has something like really big to say, like in the case of Moses, like he calls him and says that you're gonna be the leader of my people and I'm gonna give you a mission and it's to bring my people into um, the promised land. But other times, um, God would, won't give us like um, something as big, but he'll tell us something, you know, he'll talk to us about like the little things in our everyday lives. But no matter what it is, um, it's God speaking to us and it's important and we should listen. Mm -hmm. And once God speaks to us, so worship is like, it's not just God speaking to us, but it's a two-way interaction between us and God. So when God speaks to us, naturally what should happen next? We should respond, right? Uh-huh. So uh, I want you to know that God wants our res response to be honest, genuine, and authentic. Because a lot of the times, just for me personally, like uh, when I feel like God's speaking to me, you know, I'll respond in a way that, uh, I think he'll want me to, I, what I think he'll want me to respond, like when he tells me to, um, you know, go to somewhere far away like Andrews or Seattle, I'll, I'll be like, you know, I'll think that, you know, hey, God will want me to be strong and, uh, you know, I'll say like, God, here I am, send me, you know, I'll go wherever, but even though that's not really what's in my heart, even though my heart is telling me, you know, I don't feel ready for this, I'm not, you know, I'm too young and inexperienced. And I guess the important thing is that God wants to hear our honest response. Even if it's doubt or fear or lack of faith, we should come to God just as we are because God uses our weakness to help us realize our need for him. So let's look in the story. Do you see examples of, do you see an example of how, Moses, how does Moses respond when God calls him at first? What did God say to Moses, and how did Moses respond? What did, what did God say to Moses? What did he tell him to do? Yeah, anyone? Okay, what, what verse is that? All oh, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. He says, I am the God of your father, God of your ancestors. And then what else did he say? He says that I have seen your misery, right? I've seen the misery of your people. And he tells them that he'll rescue them. And then he says, Moses, you're going to be the leader. I'm going to lead your people into the promised land. And you're going to be their leader. And so how does Moses respond? Is he like, yeah, you know, I can do it. I'll do it for you, or what does he say? Right, he thinks he's not ready, right? He says, oh, please not me. Please send someone else. And Moses, you know, he was clearly being honest. 
he was just saying what's in his heart, and he really felt like he's not good enough to be the leader of Israel. But the important thing is that he was very honest with God and just brought to God whatever was in his heart. And because he was so honest and genuine and authentic in his relationship with God, um, God was able to give him the encouragement that he needed. Because Moses, God says, even though Moses says, oh, you know, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to do this, send someone else, I'm not a good speaker, blah, blah, blah. Uh, God gave him the encouragement and the courage that he needed to lead his people. He says, I will be with you, right? And I will be with you wherever you go. And you know, you're going you're gonna to do fine, Moses. And that's our response. When God speaks, our response should be something that's honest and genuine and authentic. And the last part is that uh, after we respond, God sends. So you know how we talked about God gathers? God is the one who initiates worship. But in worship, he doesn't just initiate it, but he also ends it by sending us to somewhere, by giving us a mission. And for us, like at church, our worship shouldn't end with the sermon or the closing praise. But whatever, we, whatever God speaks to us and whatever we learn at church is something that we should take into our everyday lives, you know, outside of church. And yeah, that's the five-fold pattern of worship. So uh, do you guys feel like you have a better understanding of worship and how we do things? So let's just do like a activity. So you know how we wrote down like everything that we do? So I want you guys to um, try to uh, see which parts go into which category. And remember, worship is a two-way interaction. So I want you guys to participate in this, okay? So welcome and announcements. Where do you think this falls under? So this is the five parts. God gathers. OK, yeah? Is that? Yes, but I'm going to interject a little bit. This is where, OK, look, anything I say is not to criticize your worship, OK? This is for you to learn and pray about whether we want to be intentional about our order of service, right? It's not random. By the way, if you go to, you visited other churches before, right? Isn't it, there's a few tweaks, but isn't it more or less this order, right? Now, is it a coincidence that hundreds and thousands of churches that, you, that, are, that are in this world follow a very similar pattern? It's not a coincidence, okay? We've just forgotten why, because it's just been handed down to us, and so it became this tradition. But there's actually some purpose behind it. But because we've forgotten this fivefold pattern of worship and why this was designed, we forgot the we we know the what, but we forgot the why, right? And because of that, there are a few, in my opinion, some problems with our order of worship. And welcome announcements is one of them. This one is the most problematic one. And there are some, those who are like the purists, like the pure, like, oh, no, five, five, they will say there's no place in worship for announcements, period. It's a big debate. This is the one that's very different in most churches. A lot of churches will do it at the beginning, but a lot of churches will do it at the end. So the, so the, the debate because it happens is that, okay, if God is gathering us to worship, 
and we're actually interacting with God, the part about, okay, so tonight we're going to have gym night, there's no place in worship for it. So the two theories, some will say, okay, we're going to do welcome and announcements, and we're going to get that out of the way before worship starts, because that's not, has no place in worship. So let's do that, and then we initiate with, okay, God gathers. Now, if you do that here, you're actually missing the God gathers part, kind of. You can kind of get it through song number one, but that's why a lot of churches will have a call to worship. You've seen that, right? When you have joint worship, they do it. They actually do it that way. They do announcements. They get at it. Do they still do it that way? They used to. They get an announcement out of the way, and then they say, okay, announcements are done. Now worship is starting. Call to worship, meaning God is calling us to worship, right? And so this one is a little tricky. So be thoughtful about, okay, what is the, and I guess welcome could kind of be that, although usually most welcomes at churches are kind of like more about us, like the us, and we're not really including God in that gather part. The other theory is to put it at the bottom. So they're saying, okay, worship's done now. We've gone through the five-fold pattern. Now we're going to make our announcements. The problem with this method is that if God is sending us out and worship is now beginning in our personal lives, we're kind of distracting ourselves with all these announcements of other things. A hybrid, an in-between one is they'll do it at the end, but only announcements that are related to something that's, that's related to God's sending. So this afternoon, we're going to go feed the homeless. That's an announcement that is related to the message, and it's something that God is now sending us out to live out what he spoke to us about, right? So just keep that in mind. All right, so I, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but it's really, really important because that's the one that's like, where does it fit within here? And you're going to have to prayerfully decide as a church, should we just not even have announcements? We just put it in the bulletin or we email it? Or if we are going to do it, where do you put it so that you don't interrupt this five-fold pattern, right? Okay, there you go. So that's the first part. Um, and so God gathers. It can also be part of song number one. Now, so this goes back to the first question I asked you. Those of you who are on praise, I asked you, how do you decide what songs did you sing? And some of you said the songs we know songs we like. That's actually important because you don't want to sing all these new songs and the congregation doesn't know the songs and then like they're not really participating. So it is important to pick songs you know, um, although sometimes you should introduce new songs. But if you're following this pattern and you're still in the God gathers part, you should, we should be intentional about what songs reflect God gathering us. Right? Because Different songs have different meanings and messages, right? So give me an example of a song that would be about God gathering us. In other words, what we should be thinking about is we are Broken focused vessels. on God is the one who's calling us to worship, right? So can anyone think of an example Here I am to worship. Okay, that could be one. What are the lyrics? Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Okay, good. That could be one, right? That could also work really well under We Surrender, oh, too, right? right? But what's the uh, verse, first verse? 
Light of the world. Light of the world. You came down. Okay, so that, that could work because what you're doing is you're, you're recognizing God for who he is, right? Right? Um, so you want to think about songs that really uh, don't get too far into the surrender part because what you're... And again, and by the way, I don't want to be too prescriptive, okay? I don't want you guys to leave this point. Oh, man, like, <laughs> we can't make an error, right? Okay, these are just general guidelines for you to be thinking about, right? Um, what's that one song? Um, <laughs> God of wonders beyond our galaxy. Those words make you think about, created us, right? Your mind is thinking about God and he's the one, and the, the, the concept of this God who created this universe is actually telling us to come and worship him. Like, oh, this is amazing, right? That's really the kind of song. So then it's no longer just like, oh man, I heard this awesome song, we gotta sing it, right? There's actually intentionality behind it, that it's about God. And it's about reflecting on his wonder and his glory and his mystery, right? And he's the one who's calling us. So then we get into, so that, that could be how you uh, pick like the first or two songs, right? So where's the marker? Oh. So typically this first part, when you've got those songs, is God gathers, right? Now at some point, you need to transition to we surrender. Where would be a good place to transition into we surrender? What do you think? Huh? In the prayer? Yep, could be prayer. But um, song like song number even before that, right? Song number one and song number two. Now here's where this is where you can get practical. So you've got God of Wonders or whatever. The, uh, here I have to worship. You are saying, okay, this is God gathering us. Now, we need to transition into, now that we've acknowledged that it's God who's calling us, we need to transition into, we're going to respond to that now. So James mentioned that this is, it's this back and forth. You see what happens, right? God initiates, we surrender, God speaks, we respond, and then God sends, right? So it's this back and forth that goes between God and us, right? And so if we've established that in song number one, let's just say, right? And then maybe even song number two. A great place is, you read, mentioned scripture reading, and this gets a little bit interesting because when you read from the scripture, it's really God speaking to us, right? But uh, that's okay. Um, and this prayer, and let's say, so song number three then, you would pick a song that says, and now we're gonna, now that we have acknowledged God, let's pick a song that transitions us into surrendering to God. So the classic song for this is what? <laughs> I surrender. I mean, I, mean, I, I say jokingly because, you know, that's just a classic one. But it doesn't have to be that explicit, right? Can you think of another song that conveys our surrender? It could be a hymn. It could be, Lord, I give my life to you, Lord, I give my life to you right? Okay, so you see these examples, right? So it's not just this random selection of songs or songs that we like, right? Because... If you're truly surrendering, and I'll be talking about this during the sermon, I think what happens is me gets in the way of worship. Because even the, the, just ch choosing songs because, man, I really like that song, even though God doesn't mind that, 
he wants us to be passionate about certain songs, the worship is not about us and about us being entertained, right? And so truly, if you want to surrender, let's think about a song that will get the congregation to be thinking about, okay, we're here to worship God. We're here to surrender our hearts, right? We're here to really now be able to feel that sense of surrender. So that gets you now into song number two, or song number two or three, right? Again, there's no like clear, you guys have to you know, pray about this and say where would that transition make sense. All right, then let's go to God Speaks. Where would be a good place for that? Children's story, scripture reading. So you need to think about the order here. Like where should scripture reading go? A lot of people will do scripture reading right before the sermon because that's where you start God speaking as you start reading his word, right? And by the way, for those of you who have been asked to do scripture reading, understanding this fivefold pattern totally changes it because now it's no longer, okay, I'm coming up and I'm supposed to read this text and you just read it, right? If you think about the fact that now we are entering the part of worship where God is speaking through the scripture reading, I hope that makes you think about reading that scripture a little bit differently than I just got to read this text. That you would take the time before worship, not five minutes before saying, what's the text again? But you would actually prayerfully read the text and think about what's there and come up and representing God and you read those words as if God is speaking those words to the congregation. It changes your whole concept of doing scripture reading, doesn't it? So anyway, so you're into uh, God Speaks. You've got scripture reading. That's a very uh, good way to transition into that. Children's story. This is another one. Again, I'm not being critical, but this is a problem one. Because children's story is typically where you would say, oh, that's where God speaks, right? Through the children's story. The problem is most churches don't coordinate the children's story with the sermon. So you've got this children's story that's like this awesome lesson for kids, and it has nothing to do with the sermon, right? And so coordinating that, thinking about, okay, if God is actually going to start speaking to us through the children's story, then we need to coordinate with whoever's doing the children's story to be some sort of lesson. It's fine to make it more elementary, but have as something that's tied because God is starting to speak to us. Because even as an adult, I listen to the children's story, and I love it, and I'm, and I'm waiting, and I get this great lesson. But wouldn't it be great if it ties in? Now, by the way, I'll interject with something real, you know, a lot of times people will say, you know, this sounds very prescriptive. Like, don't we need to rely on the Holy Spirit, right, to, like, lead and, like, you know, you know maybe that children's story is, is something the Holy Spirit really, you know, it is going to, like, bring something, and even though it's unrelated to the sermon. So here's, here's my response to that. I absolutely believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to act spontaneously. He does it. And we may not even know it when he does it, but when he convicts our hearts, he absolutely works spontaneously. But there is nothing that says that the Holy Spirit can't also work ahead of time in our planning he can work just as effectively, and I think he does. He wants to work that way more than the spontaneous times. While he may do it spontaneously, he also wants to convict us ahead of time as we're planning and as we're being thoughtful and as we're praying about it, that he wants to inspire us, right? Because I think God expects excellency in his worship. 
And sometimes that doesn't always happen spontaneously, right? Okay, so children's story. Um, I don't know what this Bible verses is. Is this like just read some verses or? Okay, so I think that's a great thing. And again, just be intentional about where does that fit, right? Does it interrupt the flow or the pattern, or does it actually enhance that pattern? And then the most obvious one is the sermon, God speaking through the sermon. All right, then the next step is we respond. Where does that go? Right? Offering, probably. Now, this is one that also changes. While this pattern is pretty similar in most churches, the welcome is different. It's either different. The offering is also different. I don't know if you've ever noticed. But some people will do it after the sermon, and some people will do it usually up here somewhere before the sermon. Now, why do you think that that's the one thing that can be in either? And this, when, you, when you think about this, it, it totally validates this fivefold pattern and how this was done. Why would offering sometimes be up here and sometimes after the sermon? Right. So surrender, If because when you're giving money, what are you doing? You're giving up something, right? So it's a, it's a symbol of surrendering to God by giving my offering. I worked hard for this money, but I'm going to give it to you because... You know, this is my way of showing you, God, that I am surrendering to you. I'm trusting you to take my money, and because, you know, I love you, and this is my way of surrendering to you. Why would it sometimes be after the sermon? It's a response, right? So you've heard the sermon, you've felt convicted by it, and now you want to show some way to respond to that. You take out your money and you say, I'm giving my money because this is my way of responding to you, right? So you can see that those are the two kind of ways that you can do that. All right. Then um, closing, pray, uh, closing praise. Most places have a closing song. That, too, should be a response. So if you've ever been asked to do closing prayer, although most churches will have the speaker give the closing prayer, this prayer... And the prayers up here, if you're following this pattern, again, not trying to be too prescriptive, but this is one where we need to be more thoughtful and plan our prayers. Because when, when you come up and you, if you make this prayer, if you're just winging it and you're just thanking him for the day and you start adding like prayer requests for people, it actually probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Which what we... We often do that. But this prayer should be some sort of response to what God spoke to us about, right? So there's intentionality behind it, right? So there should be, and oftentimes, if, if you're really orchestrating well, the person who's been asked to do closing prayer should ahead of time speak with the speaker to say, what are you preaching about? And then pray about that and read the texts that are related to that so that prayerfully you can prepare you don't necessarily have to recite it, but there should be some sort of response to that, so it is about us responding, right? And then oftentimes, oh, I'm sorry, this is closing praise. I mean, there's usually closing prayer, but that's benediction, right? Yeah, sorry, closing praise, <laughs> that too, but selecting the song, same thing. When you're picking the song, right, again, it's not just some random song that you're singing or the song that you like, but the praise team should definitely coordinate with 
the speaker ahead of time, what are, you pre- what are you preaching about? What's your message? What's the Bible text? And then the praise leader is prayerfully praying about it. And if this sermon is about God's love, you pick the song that's going to help us to respond to that message of God's love, right? If it's about serving the needy and helping, the praise song should be something that responds to that of our willingness to, to, to put our selfishness aside and to serve others, right? So you see the intentionality behind it. Okay, we're running out of time, so I'll wrap it up. But um, then lastly, and this is a part that a lot of churches miss, and this is a very important point, because what's the last section? God sends. So in this church, what time does worship end? 12.15? What I want you to really, this is a very important point. Worship does not end at 12.15. Okay? It's actually just beginning. Because if we follow this pattern, and we've gone through this, and we have been... You know, we acknowledge God as the one who called us to worship. We've surrendered our lives to him and our hearts to him. And we hear this incredible message that God gives us. And he has spoken to us. And we want to respond by just whatever to, to him, to that, to that message he has given us. God doesn't say, great, nice message, tuck it away. This part is so important. And we don't intentionally use this in our worship. God then sends us now to say, oh, great, you've heard my message. Now I want you to do something about it. So at 12.15, what happens is now your worship actually starts all over again, and it goes from 12.15 Saturday until 11 o'clock the following Saturday. And what God is saying is, I'm sending you now to now take this message you've heard and apply it to your life. And in your own life, you are now worshiping me, right? So you've heard this message about forgiveness and you're at school, and that one person, we all have that one person that kind of drives us, kind of annoys us, and drives us crazy, right? We all have that, let's admit it. And that person has really wronged you once again because they said something about you behind your back or spread a false rumor or whatever it may be. When you not, when you choose and ask God to help you to not respond to that by retaliating and also spreading a rumor about that person. And when you choose to forgive that person, guess what? Do you know what that act is? It's worship. That's worship. And so what God is calling us to do is to be worshiping him every day, 24-7, personally, This is your personal worship in the way you live your life. Then when you come back together at 11 a.m. next Saturday, it's the climax through corporate worship. Now imagine with me, imagine if every single one of us, when we left your church and we prayerfully lived our lives where we are worshiping him on a personal level through the message that we heard, and then when we come back the following week, we've been living that life all week. And then we come together to worship together after doing that all week. I believe our worship will change. Because it's not the other thing, the other option that we often do is we'll say, phew, closing prayer is done, worship is over, I'm back to my just whatever, my life, right? I'm just going to live my life the way I usually do. 
And then when 11 o'clock comes the next Sabbath, okay, it's time to worship now. Let's get, get together and start worshiping. It just completely changes the whole concept of what worship is all about, right? This is not some random thing. Even though you'll never find in the Bible these terms, this is based on biblical evidence of worship. And then modern worshipers are the ones who came up with these terms. But just because something is not specifically mentioned in the Bible, it does not mean it's not true or is not applicable to us, right? Because we interpret Bible all the time, right? And so that's what this is about. So let me leave you, because I know we have to end. For those of you who would like further study, because I know we didn't have time to do it all, if you would like to read other examples other than the one that we read of Moses in Exodus, check out Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Here, I'll write them up here. So Isaiah 6, 1 to 13. Check out Luke 1, 26 to, whoops, 38. And Luke 24, 13 to 35. And see, read through this and go through what, like what Pastor James did with you and see if you can spot this pattern of God gathering us and whoever is in the stories to how they surrendered, how God spoke to them, how they responded, and how God sent them out. And there are other examples, but these are some, some ones that I think would help you. And, you know, I think if you continue to study this, get together, maybe Bible studies, you know. And I know there are some people away on spring break. I'll give you those verses so that uh, maybe uh, before Pastor James leaves to Washington, he could do another session for those who are not here. Um, but ultimately, what, 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 this, um, what this shows us is that, um, you know, worship, if you were to follow this pattern, it really takes us out of the equation. That's really what this does if you were to prayerfully follow this. And I think that's the biggest obstacle in our experiencing the kind of worship that can really change us is that we like to input ourselves in that way too much. And that's actually what I'm going to preach about here in a few minutes. So with that, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Pastor James, for leading us through it. And I hope that this blesses you. <laughs>